This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate for January 17th, 2020. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find Open the Voice Gate on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast feed or on our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms. If you'd like to donate to Open the Voice Gate, please click the link in the show notes. Uh, You could do either a single donation or you can do a recurring donation. No obligation, but we'd appreciate any donations coming our way. You can find us on Twitter at OpenVoiceGate, and I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, I'm Mike Spears, and joined as always by my co-host, KSO. And Case, we, we moved our schedules a little bit this week because we had a feeling that we wanted to talk about this Corican, and boy, has it been a week in Dragon Gate. It's been an eventful week that is going to spiral into next week as well as we have a show on the 19th of July that is making tape and will air live on the Dragon Gate Network. So for as much as we have to cover today, it's not going to slow down anytime soon. But to me, that is perfectly okay because for so long, we went without any sort of meaningful Dragon Gate action. We went five months without a Corkin Hall show. February is the last time they ran Corkin before this week. And judging from the social media of the wrestlers in the company, as well as the fans that I follow that live in Japan, this was a joyous occasion for everybody involved. They all seemed really excited that Dragon Gate was back in Corkin Hall. We had a super hot, super lively crowd in Osaka. Last weekend, we'll talk about that show as well. So things are on the upward trajectory. I I feel like we've been talking a lot about the future of the company and how strong we feel about the future. But we have also been in this position before. I mean, the discourse three or four years ago was you've got Shimizu and you've got Benkei and you've got T-Hawk and you've got Ata. Uh, and you've got Flamita and Takahiro Yamamura and all of these guys that were like, wow, this is the future. And as we know, you know, T-Hawk's gone, Flamita's gone, Yamamura's, you know, injured, will likely at least hopefully never wrestle again just because I don't want him to to aggravate yet another life-threatening injury. And also he's out of the company. So we thought we were approaching this golden era of talent a few years ago. And it just didn't work out like that. I mean, we have Ben K pinning Pac at Kobe World last year. We're coming up on the one-year anniversary of that, which 
no matter what happens for the rest of Ben K's career, he will have that moment. And I'm glad that he has that moment because that match ruled the build of that match ruled. And that reign, even though it was much shorter than we expected, was a phenomenal title reign. And Big R Shimizu, while maybe he's not the world champion wrestler that I thought he was going to be, has had a respectable career and, and will continue to do so. But we now are approaching this time period where Drangate has been fostering these young wrestlers. There's been a lot of bubbling on the undercards of like, wow, that guy's really got something. He's really showing something. And we are now seeing that transition of those guys that we hyped for so long, guys that might have been a little under the radar to a casual Western fan that is simply dipping in for a cork at Hall at one of the big five shows and then moving on with their life. We are seeing a transition in the roster, and all signs right now point to everything working for the company's favor, and I am so delighted at the direction this company is heading. And it's something where we say the direction of the favor and their schedule, it kind of, other than like the obvious horrible break, this has set up a very interesting back half of 2020 for them because we don't know when the uh, Kenan Hall show will happen. It's still on the books sometime this year, but we're now two weeks away from Wakayama and Wakayama is, they're treating as a big show and you're talking about this youthful elevation and, you look at the top two title matches that we already have signed. We already have Ata getting his first Dreamgate shot. We have Kota Minenora and Jason Lee getting a tag team title shot. And it's just building from there. And you like look at it, and each month from here on out is going to have at least one, if not two, big shows for the rest of 2020. And it all feels like it's been like leading to this, that all the months in Lapis Hall, the two empty arena Kobe Samba Hall shows, have kind of like built things up to a simmer that... They were able to come back two weeks ago. They were able to come back to KBS Hall. And ever since then, they hit the ground running, and it did not stop this week. And it's something that I find really remarkable. And it's given me something a little bit more to, like, bite into than, re- weirdly enough, like, I I feel a lot better about the company right now coming out of everything than I did, like, in January and February, which, which it might just be me being excited that we have shows back. But it's a very exciting time, and... If you're someone who listens and is not necessarily always on top of everything in Dragon Gate, this is going to be a really exciting time to follow the company, I believe, over the last five months of 2020. Well, the schedule is insane because, right. as you mentioned, Kobe World Hall will happen at some point. Now, I'm looking at the calendar right now, and my gut says October right? because it, it almost has to be because, like Mike mentioned, we've got – the Wakayama show, uh, uh, Memorial Gate in Wakayama, that's coming up on August 2nd, which is shockingly close. Two I weeks. looked at the calendar yesterday. It was like, oh, my God. that I, I was expecting like another like six weeks of Doi and Ata build, and then I was like, <laughs> oh, no, that match is happening now. But that is a big show that has always been considered a big show, but because of the broadcasting deals around it, it just has never – it's really hardly ever been seen by the West because it was a show that was exclusively put out on, on DVD at points. And then you go to dangerous gate in September, which we have a main event for now. They're, they're moving the dead or alive cage match that was supposed to happen in May in uh, Aichi that is now happening in Tokyo dangerous gate, September 21st, November has gate of destiny, 
and Gate of Origin, which are two pay-per-view level shows, even if Gate of Origin is much smaller. And then December, you have the one Cork and Hall show. As of now, there's only one Cork and Hall announced in December, not two. And then you have Final Gate sometime that year in Fukuoka. So assuming World gets put in October, we're now on a monthly pay-per-view schedule akin to WWE almost. I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, New Japan, I guess, but I, New Japan's schedule is so sporadic and, you know, they're not only running one, you know, air quotes, pay-per-view caliber show a month. Typically they're running two or three. So it's, it's really closer to that more Americanized WWE schedule of building towards the monthly pay-per-view. And we don't necessarily have enough distance yet out of the empty arena Kobe show to say that they've handled everything well, but where we are currently in the timeline, they were able to heat up Ada in the empty arena shows. I mean, they, they helped cultivate and elevate a star during the King of Gate empty arena shows and the, the preceding Rainbow Gate shows that followed. And now we are seeing the feuds that they kept hot during that time, the guy that they build, it's all coming to fruition. And then, you know, they hit the ground running with the KBS Hall shows that we talked about recently, the Cork and Hall and the Osaka shows from this past week. And it's only going to continue. I mean, August has Memorial Gate, a KBS Hall show on the 8th, Osaka on the 9th, Cork and Hall on the 12th, Sambo Hall on the 15th, and then a Fukuoka doubleheader on the 23rd, and then another Sambo Hall show on the 30th. So we went months with getting maybe three or four matches a week to now in August, it is going to be a content overload. But given the state of the company, I am delighted at that possibility. Yeah, I think for the first time in history, I'm super excited for Sunday's Kobe Sambo Hall show. As someone who... You've lived with with my ups and downs with Sambo Hall, but they've been building up something everything incredibly well, and it's essentially the go home show for for Memorial Gate and Wakayama. They're going to have a break. They they have one more house show in Fukui, but that's pretty much it until the uh, Wakayama show. So like we're at like okay, we're looking straight down the barrel at this, and there's so much going on here that you know I went a long period without having a Dragon Gate notebook match. But this week, I had two notebook matches by itself, and it's really, really exciting time. And it was something that I, I think we were both waiting for. And, and then their return to Osaka on the 12th was just a really exceptional and fun show, just to transition over to that. And the, what they did I thought was really interesting about this case was, so with the uh, distancing of regulations and how Dragon Gate's deciding to take it and, and their protocol... They ran Osaka Edeon too, like they usually would about this time. But what they did that was pretty smart was they knew there was going to be distance, and they found a way to basically cut Edeon two in half and show and space everyone out appropriately. This was probably the most one of the most spaced out shows they've had since they came back. But they had it like in a, in a side of it so that the sound acoustics was great and just added to like this incredible uh, Osaka show. If I was a company in Japan right now, I would be scrambling to book Osaka 2 as much as possible. Because if you weren't aware of, I guess if you've been sleeping under a rock and you just weren't aware of everything that's happening, I don't know if you could look at the hard cam and tell that there was 
a limited capacity crowd on hand. I don't want to say there was no social distancing because there clearly was in every photo that I saw from inside the venue. People looked to be appropriately spaced out, but it, there was just an aura and an atmosphere to that arena that felt like a normal show. Even the KBS Hall shows, for as lively as they were, it kind of fell into that, like I talked about last week, that PGA Tour thing of mm-hmm. like very polite golf claps, and that was nice. Osaka, it's not like they were raising their voice. They were still following all of the guidelines in place. But you could tell from beginning to end, the crowd was into this card. And they were treated to a really, really good show. I mean, Drangate in Osaka number two is one of the safest bets in wrestling. I don't know, even 2017, 2018, when I was really cold on parts of the company, they roll into Osaka too. I know I'm going to get a good show. And this was no different. And it's unfortunate that uh, I'm assuming, I'm assuming Mike and I did not talk about this. I'm assuming this show will drop on the 18th. So if you're listening to it, then Osaka gets pulled from Dragon Gate Network on the 19th. So run, don't walk to watch that Osaka show. We'll break it down. We'll give you the match recommendations. Unfortunately, just given the nature of the network, it will not be on uh, it will not be available for that much longer. Yeah, it's uh, for new newcomers. Dragon Gate Network operates mostly on a seven-day on-demand window. Then it closes for about a month to a month and a half until it makes its televised debut and they put the televised form of it up on air. But the nice thing also about both of these shows, about two hours, 15 minutes, if you're someone that just like you know that they're going to be doing mic time and you don't have any interest and you don't understand what they're saying, you could get through the show in two hours, just under two hours. So it's an easy watch. Attendance was 285. Again, this is with the uh, with the restrictions. And the one thing that I noted, and I don't know if you caught this, I was reading The Observer this morning, and for one time, Dave Meltzer actually had a good Dragon Gate section. For like I a, noticed that too. For I like was, the first I time in eight years. About that. It was a nice full well thought out Drangate section. It was very nice to read in the Observer. Yeah, and, and the point that was made was okay with the restrictions. They're still doing fine because apparently Dragongate's merchandise has just been. They've been pushing. And if you follow their uh, native Japanese accounts, you'll see them talking about merch nonstop. So this has been something that you know, 285 fans. That's usually about a fourth of what they usually get into Osaka too. But that's also because yeah, the restrictions. They're basically having the arena. So. It's 285, but it turned out to be like a great two-hour show, and it started off with one, uh, with two of the uh, new rookie class and exhibition match. Kento Kabune, the current leader of that class, teamed up with Ho Ho Loon as they faced Jimmy and your main man, Case Masahiro Inoue, in a five-minute time limit draw. Well, what? Since we only really got a little bit of Inoue in January, what were your thoughts of them coming out of this match? I think I pushed back on you calling Masahiro Inoue my man on the last episode, (laughs) but I now proudly claim that title because in a match that features Kenta Kabune, who I honest to God think if you were talking about true rookies or even sub two, three year experience levels in Japan right now, I think Kabune has to be looked at as the highest and hottest prospect in Japan. 
But Masahiro Inoue, who wrestled a dark match on the Toriyaman reunion show in January, January 31st, and then disappeared to a point that I forgot about him until Mike brought him up on the air about a month ago. He doesn't have a roster page on the Drangate website. He's just a guy that is there. We finally see him return here. And Mike, I thought he was the most entertaining guy in the match. He's got this low center of gravity. Like he's really chaotic and like it, it looks like he's excited, albeit a bit nervous. I think part of that is like a nervous energy coming off of him. But I like the way he works. He was frantic and he was exciting and he was engaging. And this five minute dark match is worth your time. This was really fun. And I think the thing that really draws me, at least in a way, is for a guy who I'm willing to assume because he does not have full gear still. He's the rare person that starts off with the compression shorts and short wrestling shorts or shoes uh his selling is what got me this guy already seems to have like a great idea of like selling and emotion that like, leads lends to this chaotic style he has that you, you know i'm willing to make the assumption that because of him being gone that they kind of see him not necessarily as like full-time ready the way that kobune is but i came away with this being like all right this is a guy that I feel like he's going to have the kind of charisma and he's going to have the ability through his just his physical emotion that this guy is going to be a real fun guy to watch. And of course, Kenta Kabune, the, uh, if we were going to be doing like a top 100 prospects list, Kenta Kabune would be number one with a bullet. We had another strong performance. Jimmy was someone that, you know, he's getting used to like his new, uh, his new added mass and he looked like he had a lot better body control and he's gotten, he's gotten used to it. I know that we thought that would be like a, maybe a couple shows for him to kind of get used to it and ended up just being a blast of a match zero. This might be one of my favorite match zeros I've had in a long time. Yeah. Well worth your time. I assumed going in, even the fact that it was a match zero and it was all guys kind of on the same level. I had thought Inouye would take the pin, take the fall in some way, shape, or form just because of of the way that he has been treated again to a far uh, less praise, less promotion than a Kenta Kabune who debuted in December and already has a t-shirt and then a restock of that t-shirt because <laughs> it's sold out. I mean, there is there is clearly something there with him that the only time... I have felt so strongly about a prospect from his debut match on is when Yuga Hayashi L. Lindemann debuted. And I specifically remember watching his Cork and Hall debut and going, oh, yeah, no, that guy, that guy is going to be something. And then I later learned how good of a promo he was. And he really did turn into a, a hot prospect until perhaps politics demoted him on the Dragon Gate card a little bit. He obviously left, joined up with Shima. TBD on how that's going. It has certainly had its ups and downs ever since. But uh, Kabune is, is can't miss. Every time he's on tape right now, I consider it essential viewing. I think he is that good of a prospect. And we'll get into prospects and heat seekers later on. But he's someone that still only 26 matches. Still at that point. And he's too... He's progressed this well, this well so far, and it's really wild. The opener for Edeon 2 was a six-man tag team match of the lads were all out in force. It was Binkei, Strong Machine J, and Keisuke Akuda going against the mixed team of Yuzushi, Kanda, Ryo Saito, and Gamma. Okuda got the win on Kanda in 13 minutes and 21 seconds with the lights out. And a really like fun opener, and we got to see like the angriest man, the biggest man, 
And I, I, I think Strong Machine Jay seems like he's a very suave character. So the, the lads were all out in force to open up the show. I am not a what I would call a party animal by trade. But if you get me, Ben K, Strong Machine J, and Kaisuke Akuda out in Rapongi on an evening, uh, it is going to be a time to remember. It is going to be a beautiful thing. I love this lads trio. I hope at some point, just given their real-life relationship, that we get a prolonged Ben K and Akuda team because I think that would be a fascinating dynamic. And Kaisuke Akuda, someone we will talk about a lot on this podcast even outside of his feud with Kaito Ishida, I find what Dragon Gate is doing with him to be particularly interesting. And in a match where you have two-thirds of the Open the Triangle Gate champions and Ben K and Strong Machine J, it is Kaisuke Akuda who picks up the win. He hits his lights out on Yasushi Kanda. A fine opener, 13 minutes for an opener, which I wasn't really expecting uh, one of the longest matches on the show, actually. I guess, you know, just the fourth longest match on a show with uh, six matches. So maybe not as impressive as I thought, but still a long opener, got time to breathe, and Kaisuke Akuda looked really good coming out of it. Yeah, I, I mean, I think he's the most interesting person in wrestling right now. And if, and whenever Akuda's on the screen, your eyes are kind of drawn from not only for his ridiculously powerful tan, but like he... He has a very magnetic style that you get drawn towards. He's very expressive. It makes me wonder, like, he's someone that's been around for a long time. Like, is it the fact that he is with uh, Ultimo and Benke in this that's really, like, let him come out of his shell? Because he, I, I, I feel weird saying, like, he's the most improved wrestler, but he definitely is, like, the most interesting wrestler 2020. And then you have, like, the veteran side, like, Gamma. We haven't got to see a lot of the wrestler of the year of 2020, but Gamma and Strong Machine J doing some mass grips and just, like, getting kind of sleazy was a lot of fun as well. Uh, to your point on Okuda, I mean, his reign, I guess not his reign, his run in Dragon Gate, I can't imagine it going any better than it has because this is someone that when he came in full-time, which I think was last year at Dead or Alive, I could be off on the date by a month or two, but it was in he May. came in. It was in May. Yeah. We were excited at the prospect of him joining the promotion full time, but you know this is a guy who was doing Anoki shows. I mean, he was doing IGF, and we weren't entirely sure what we were getting. We weren't entirely sure if the style would mesh. And then, you know, smartly, he was latched on to Mochizuki Dojo and was spending time either wrestling or teaming with Masaki Mochizuki. And you know, whether it's kayfabe or not, I choose to believe that there was some sort of mentorship going on between Mochizuki and Akuda because he is now the direct heir to that Mochizuki in-ring style that is not duplicated throughout anyone else in the company. And he's in the best feud in wrestling right now. Easy run of the way, runaway feud of the year winner, in my opinion. We'll talk about him and Ashita in just a little bit. And he's getting so much focus on these cards that it seems like the company is really behind him in a way that I just would have never predicted when he came in. Yeah, no, this is astounding. And it does feel like that they use the remainder of 2019 as a way to build him and get him ready so that the mentorship from Mochizuki and working with him so much really let him blossom in 2020. And it's been one of the more like positive stories in wrestling this year. And it's going to be interesting because he does kind of feel like an heir to Mochizuki, but there's one person I don't bet against ever slowing down is Misaki Mochizuki. So 
we could be in a world where sometime in 2021 and 2022 we could be having uh kisuke akuda versus misaki mochizuki king of gate matches and that's something that i am incredibly here for you know who else doesn't slow down? That's Masaki Mochizuki's longtime tag partner, Don Fuji. We got big match Fuji on this Osaka show, Mike. Oh, we absolutely did. We didn't just have big match Don Fuji. We had big match Don Fuji facing a rookie as Don Fuji faced off against the recent debutee, Sora Fujikawa. He defeated Sora in 7 minutes and 44 seconds with a Hime half or half grab. And boy, talking about rookies and talking about like putting people in like positions to perform and this match was my second was my second favorite match of the show. Like this 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 owned. Okay, it's like what were your thoughts about this one? I I completely agree and it's you know a match that despite how great I guess how very good the main event was. Like I will remember this Fuji Fujikawa match for the rest of Fujikawa's career because when he debuted it was like yeah okay he's good. I like him. He was but the other he's guy. Not, he's exactly. He's the other guy to, you know, he debuted in a tag match with Madoka Kakuda. And then you obviously they, you know, they teamed against Kenta Kabune and Takedo Kamai. So, yeah, he was the other guy. And I don't feel like we saw a ton of what he is capable of in that tag match. But then he comes here against Fuji and he really takes it to Fuji. And what was so surprising was not the way that Don Fuji kicked his ass, which he did, and it was glorious, but the respect given to Fujikawa, the fact that this match lasted seven and a half minutes instead of three minutes, the fact that Fujikawa was able to survive and escape until his untimely demise in this match. I mean, there are rookies on this roster that were never, never ever given the respect until they became a guy. Fujikawa's the the lowest guy on the roster other than Masahiro Inoue, and he gets a seven-minute match with Don Fuji where he is given multiple hope spots. And this, to me, much like Match Zero, essential viewing. Yeah, and, like, Fujikawa is someone that, like, when I first saw him, I, like, tried to get, like, an idea of, okay, what can this guy can be? And he kind of had, like, a very punchable face to me initially, like, and Don Fuji, like, kind of capitalizing on this and proving, like, yeah, he is kind of, he seems like that his natural inclination will be going Rudo at one point, and it just was, like, a really thing, but the crowd was super behind Fujikawa as well, and it should be noted that Don Fuji busted his nose, uh, Fujikawa's nose open, like, just clubbing and, like, clawing at his face, and I think that added a lot to Fujikawa's toughness, and it's so exciting right now. I mean, we have five rookies, and we have more on the way, and more special ones on the way. And it's just exciting to see this. Don Fuji, Don Fuji should be in every singles match for the rest of 2020 if they don't have big plans for Don Fuji, just so we can get Fuji versus Kabune, Fuji versus Kamai, Fuji versus Fujikawa Part Two, Fuji versus Kakuta, which would be a remarkable match to see, and then Fuji versus Inoue. This is like. But this is like my wrestling crack is Don Fuji beating up on a rookie and I just ate up on it for about 10 minutes this match. And now more than ever, there's a plethora of guys for Fuji to destroy. I mean, we just talked about how great all of these rookies are. And at some point they are going to have to run into Don Fuji and it is going to be a disaster. 
So make time if you're going to fast forward through the show. Make time for this match. We could probably go on for minutes about this. And one match that I don't think you need to really put some time towards, and it's it's a shame because one of my favorite people in the company right now is in it, was the Toriumon versus R.E.D. tag match of Ultimo Dragon and Kinki Horiguchi teaming against the R.E.D. team of the Brave Gate champion Kaido Ishida and Diamante. Ishida submitted Horiguchi in 10 minutes and 53 seconds. This was my low match on the show. I mean... Uh, Ultimo Dragon didn't do anything for five minutes, which I thought was hilarious, but didn't make it to be a great match, in my opinion. I'm the same way. I think worst match on the show, but not a bad match. No, not bad. I I was really curious about this finish because I, I thought Ultimo would go over on Diamante, given that Ishida has defeated Genki Horiguchi and had opened the Braviate match already. I assumed they weren't going back to the Horiguchi well at some point. But Ashida submitting Horiguchi as definitively as he did is one of those small things, but Horiguchi is still protected to some extent. I mean, to me, a singles victory over Horiguchi means a lot. And then to, even though it was, you know, five months ago and it feels like five years ago, to double back and to have Ashida definitively submit Horiguchi in this match, that was, that was eyebrow raising to me. It's just like, wow, yeah. No, Ishida is is firmly ahead of this guy in the pecking order. This is cool to see. Yeah, and you know it does make sense that like they were the champion gate brave gate match, and it's like he he ate his lunch basically for the entire show, and it, and it just was something that was kind of remarkable, being like, okay, Ultimo's here, but he's just kind of here, and just ended up being probably what I would say the only skippable match on this show. Uh, Match four was Dragon Gate versus Toriumon, Yamato, Kai, and Daya representing Dragon Gate versus Yoshino, Dragon Kid, and Susumi Akoska representing Toriumon. Yamato got the pin on Yoshino, which is something that's been happening a lot this year, but with the Frankensteiner of the Almighty in the longest match on the show at 1544. And Daya and Susumu, like, naturally they should have great chemistry, but case, I watched this match and I was like, that's going to be a remarkable match. And when that match happens, I hope it's at a Kobe world and Susumu uh, finds a way to turn the reptilian Rana into like the reptilian Rana version of the world liner. I thoroughly enjoyed this one. Well, you know, that's coming. I mean, this company is too smart and too intricate to waste such an opportunity, but Mike, this was my match of the night. You said earlier, Kaisuke Akuda is the most exciting person in wrestling. He is in my top five because there is no one on earth earth right now that has the output of dragon dia this is a weird year i have no idea how awards are going to turn out i know if i looked at my spreadsheet right now there would be guys even in this messed up year there would be guys with more spreadsheet level matches than dragon dia but with the exception of kenny omega when i think of the best wrestlers of 2020 dragon dia is the name that comes to mind Every single time he steps into the ring, I am prepared to have my mind blown. And sometimes he's not reinventing the wheel. Sometimes he's just playing his hits. But he has cultivated such momentum and such trust with me in the last year due to his incredible output 
that I am frothing at the mouth to see every single match that this guy is in. And I talked about when we previewed this show, this was a really, really interesting match because you have Yamato and Yoshino, the two generation aces. You have Kai and Susumu, two big guys that hit hard. And then you have Dragon Daya and Dragon Kid. And there's an obvious parallel between the two. All of them had great chemistry. This was three and three quarters. I wanted to go four. I just couldn't, but it's a really good match. But watching Dragon Daya in there with each of the Toriumon guys, Daya with Yoshino, Daya with Susumu, and Daya with Dragon Kid, it jumped out to me just how good Dragon Daya is now. He was unbelievable in this match. I, I love this. It's, it's one that a week later... I'm still thinking about this match. I really had a good time watching it. And they've done something really kind of fun and interesting. I've noticed with like the, the these unit warfare matches that happened again later on Cork, and where they're able to like put out this output. And Daya, I think he is easily the person with like the most surefire ceiling in wrestling right now. Like you, like he's entirely projectable, and you can see where he's going to go, and he's going to claim it unless something terrible happens but it's funny how they've been adding in a little bit of humor into these matches but in a way that's not completely like giving up the plot in a way and not completely like making it a throwaway match like the whole entire idea of Yamato just clowning on Yoshino and then winning the match and cutting a promo and Yoshino wanting to respond and Yamato goes no hit my music we're done here you lost you can't talk had me cracking up well it's it's a subtle thing that you know could matter at some point because even if it is not this Hulk Shingo level hatred between the units right now, there is still that unit warfare going on. And that sort of stuff matters because, again, all signs have pointed to the fact that Masao Yoshino is not going to delay his retirement. Obviously, this is not the 2020 that he thought he would have, but he announced at the beginning of the year that he would retire this year. And my understanding is that is still the plan. So Yoshino, even if he's taking falls, which he's been doing a lot of lately, is going to be heavily involved in the booking going forward because Masato Yoshino, other than Yamato, and kind of other than Ultimo, but it's different because Ultimo is looked at as more of a legendary figure. Masato Yoshino is the most important person in the company. And Yamato denying him that promo time is a small thing, but I think it's going to matter down the line. Yeah, yeah. And it's definitely like seeing aces of generations going against each other like the past and the present and the future kind of in a lot of way having some interplay that i really enjoyed but this is another solid match and then we had a, what i thought was a really solid match coming up this is my final was a straight tag between torimon and red as the t2p team of the open the dream gate champion naruki toy teams with shuji kondo against the uh, king of gate 2020 winner and the holder of the current dream key ada and big arshimizu Doi got the pin on his challenger in 12 minutes and 55 seconds with what's called a modified clutch. I think this, and we've been trying to figure this out, and I wasn't able to go back and figure this out. I think this is the variation of the V9 that he started to use earlier this year, but we, I think it's called like Nines might be the, the name that he called it. But, and this match was just like a really fun match. And I, I'm going to save like my Doi and Ada build thoughts for later on, but boy, Kondo versus Shiz Shimizu. Let's go. We're getting big boys in every unit now, and it's great. Yeah, these guys were involved in much more important matches at the Cork and Hall show. We'll, so we'll table the big picture thoughts there. I will say just briefly, I didn't love 
the Doi and Ata chemistry in this match, I think they've had much better interactions with one another, even as they build to their Dreamgate match and Wakayama. But Kondo and Shimizu together is a a mode of delivery of professional wrestling that is going to work literally every single time. Like I can't imagine a scenario unless one of them starts to completely break down where I get tired of that pairing. And whenever they were in the ring with one another, it jumped out to me just how fresh and how exciting it was to see those two go at it. It feels like that over the quarantine break, no one has benefited more from taking three months off like Shuji Kondo. Well, yeah, I, I don't remember if we talked about this on the air, or if we talked about this in private, but I don't remember a, a lengthy Shuji Kondo injury. So since his T2P debut, I don't know if he's ever taken three months off. It's not something that rings a bell uh, to me. It looks like in 2013, he didn't wrestle any matches in July and August, and then came back in September. And then in 2016, he was gone April, May, and June. So he's had one time in his career since his debut where he didn't wrestle for three consecutive months. And that was, I, I remember that injury now. I don't remember what the specific injury was, but it obviously derailed him. Uh, and towards those last few years in Russell one, unless he was in the ring with Shima, he wasn't exactly delivering at a high level, but since April 1st, that last Russell one show, he's been able to kick back, heal up, and I'll have more to say on him later, but my God, he has been exciting since coming back to Dragon Gate. It, it's been such a delight and something that really, it, it's a piece that you did not feel like you needed in the puzzle, but since you find that piece and you're like, oh no, now everything makes sense. Shuji Kondo. Yeah, absolutely. And it ended up like this was a match that really three and a half stars I had for mainly Kondo and Shimizu and then some of the light uh, Doi and Ada things, but it was a, I, 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 I think they should really be doing like the 100 kilos live tournament, you know, get all the big boys together. Let's see who's the biggest boy of them all. Yeah, well, I mean, God, Jimmy's put on so much weight. You've got enough guys now. I mean, you might as well. You might yeah. as well have Jimmy and Kondo be shoulder blocking each other in the middle of the ring. Kai. Because all of a sudden, Drangate has, has become where the big boys play. This is the <laughs> strong division now, and we are talking about Dragon Gate Pro Wrestling, baby. It is a beautiful thing to see. Yeah, and what was also a beautiful thing to see was the main event. It was a trios match. Dragon Gate and R.E.D., it was the uh, Dragon Gate team of KZ, Jason Lee, and Kota Minenora going up against the R.E.D. team of B.B. Hulk, Kazuma Sakamoto, and Takashi Yoshida. Minenora got the direct pinfall on Hulk, which is something I called last week, if I remember right, that, that Kota Minenora was going to get the win here and make a, they made a Twin Gate challenge after that, pinning Hulk with his new finishing move, The Gang, which is a packaged Tiger Driver, which is insane. Yeah, I... You were confident in this finish. I was not. I really could not tell what they wanted to do with Minora because if you go back to the KBS Hall shows on the 4th and the 5th, yes, he went into a time limit draw with Big R Shimizu, but that match was supposed to be Yosuke Santa Maria at first. Minora wasn't even on that show initially, and then he had the singles with Susumu the night later, also a time limit draw, and then these cards came out after the fact. So... I wasn't sure if this was going to be one where Hulk kind of kicks his head off and there goes Minora back down the card, or if they were going to do something big, which they did. And although it's not entirely comparable, it doesn't feel as hot 
the closest comparison I can give to Menorah's sudden elevation, the two time limit draws, the win here, and then the win at Cork and Hall, it feels similar. Again, it's not the exact same thing, but it feels very similar to the Takahiro Yamamura push of February 2017, where he and Shimizu went to a time limit draw on Corkin, and then in the main event that night, the baby faces needed two guys to come out. Uh, Shima came out, said, you know, normally I would interject here, but two young guys on the card showed me something tonight. Yamamura and Shimizu come into that main event, and up until his injury, that night made Yamamura's career, and Minora feels on a very similar trajectory with this one, which it's a win over BB Hulk. I mean, guys, guys pin Hulk, even if Hulk's a champion right now, it's not it's not pinning Yoshino and it's not pinning Yomato, but it is it is BB Hulk, and there was something about this match that just felt big. It was great to see Minora pinning Hulk is a moment. And then the post-match where the Drangate generation seems elated. And it's KZ cutting the go-home promo. It's Jason Lee and Minora standing in the middle of the ring triumphantly. And it is Jason Lee and Minora challenging for the Twin Gate titles at Memorial Gate in Wakayama. This is what we talk about. We're now, these guys that have been bowling on the undercard for so long, they are now getting their shots. This match, not a great match. A good match, not a great match, but a big, legitimate moment in the finish, and that is great to see. You see, I'm higher on this match than you are, which kind of surprises me. I went four flat on it. I loved it. but I, also- I went three and a half. It, was, it never approached being great for me. But again, I recognize like the the overall story of the match, the moment, really, really great. Yeah, and I think that's what resonated me was the moment of Minora debuting a move that could be a super finisher and putting out someone like Hulk, who you know he is now the elder statesman of the of the Trueborn. When you think about it, and it's it was really definitive. Uh, I love the Minora and Lee tag team. I think it's going to be really interesting to watch the two of them, especially for someone like Jason Lee who's been around for several years, but has has kind of been... You, you remember the old stories about how Kakatora was like the ace of the undercards, and but for the last few years, it's been Jason Lee, and the two of them work so well together, and then KZ is the glue. Like, whenever KZ's in like a big match like this, you know that he's going to be the glue of the trios, and it's something that is really remarkable. If it wasn't for the, the, the idea of that they're elevating Minora up so high... You could almost see like this uh, Dragon Gate gun team being a future Triangle Gate challenge team. Like they worked so well together. And then Sakamoto has been someone that has been such a great figure on these shows. And it just kind of like did like this. And it was one of those things that I I'm afraid of calling this a, a moment, but in, at the time it felt like a moment. I, I think it will be solidified one way or another by the Twin Gate match coming up, which, look, we'll do a full preview of that show. Yeah, next but week. We'll... Watching, watching this match and thinking about specifically the career of Jason Lee, I do want to say this now because I am so excited for that Twin Gate match because Jason Lee came into the company September 2017 as I really more of an experiment than anything. I mean, he was... You know, it came in established as a pro, so came in with some sort of gimmick and just immediately felt so different on the roster. And then I went back and rewatched Final Gate 2017 right after Lee 
joined Maximum. So Lee comes in, he's just a guy, and then kind of quickly progresses, and there was a real buzz of, like, get this guy a unit. Like, he needs to be doing something. Maximum was shorthanded, so he joins Maximum, and it's Doi, Yoshino, and Jason Lee against BB Hulk, KZ, and Yamato at Final Gate 2017, open the Triangle Gate match. I think given the fact that it's Final Gate, so it's a transitional just calendar period and those matches kind of get lost in the shuffle at times. And the fact that it was 2017 approaching 2018, which is a dark timeline. I think this match gets lost in the shuffle a little bit. I rewatched this match this week and I am not being hyperbolic when I say that the first, I think it's like an 18 minute match. The first 13 minutes or so it's great. It is great. You know, what is going to be a great match. The last five minutes of that triangle gate match, you feel like you are watching the greatest wrestling match ever. It is unbelievable how intense it is. And the thing that holds it all together is Jason Lee because it's Dory Yoshino, Hulk, KZ Yamato, established stars. Jason Lee is the wild card in that match. And he is the one, not in the big spots, not in the big moments, but he is the one that makes that match interesting. They go on to win the titles there. They have a really fun reign. They have a really good defense against Yamato, Flamita, and Yosuke Santa Maria at Champion Gate 2018. And then Jason Lee has that really good final gate match last December, December 2019, against Kaito Ishida. So Jason Lee has a track record of delivering in big spots. Kota Minora is white hot. And Kazuma Sakamoto, who I've got more on later when we break down that Cork and Hall show, those three together, BB Hulk can stand in the corner. Now, I still think Hulk has stuff left in him, but Hulk could stand in the corner and just let those three go at it. And I have no doubt that will be a great match. And if Hulk is able to go from a great to exceptional, like that's the thing is like, I've this is a match with a very high floor that I think I'm really excited about. And yeah, no, Jason Lee doing that in Fukuoka of all places, notoriously one of the coldest venues in all of Japan and getting everyone molten hot for that was truly exceptional. So I was thinking about that a few days ago. Can you imagine when they have to do a limited capacity final gate show this year, how cold and empty that building is going to feel? Oh, it's it going, is to be... going to be unbearable. I do not look forward to that. I mean, and that's not, that's like a 5,500 seat arena. So that's 1,200 or maybe 2,700. If they luck out and be able to do one half, that's going to be weird. It's going to be, it's going to be weird. I wish all venues could be like Edeon too, but that's sadly not the case. Uh, this was an exceptional show. As we mentioned earlier, this will remain up on the network until the 19th. It's about two hours. It's well worth your time. I mean, really, there's only one match that if you're really pressed for time to skip, and you can probably tell which one that is just from looking at the rundown. The biggest win of COVID-era wrestling that I hope transitions into the future is these short shows. They removed the 20-minute match time mat, uh, time limit on the undercards and made it 15. And then the rest of the stuff just flies by. There's no intermission. The promos are kept to a minimum. I hope this is something that uh, transcends all of wrestling, is shortening what could be a three-and-a-half-hour show and making it two hours, 15 minutes. Because I watched this Cork and Hall show live, started at 5.30 a.m. Eastern time, and was done by... 7 20 ish 
I mean, it it flew by. It was great, and I hope that continues into the future. And it was a fun Cork and Hall show that we should now discuss. Yep, we're going to get into this. This aired on the 15th, which means it'll be up on the network until the 22nd. There might be an English uh, commentary version coming up soon. I did not notice it last night when I was on the network, but I know that Jay was there recording commentary. He's going to go solo for the time being, and they're going to probably do it after the fact. But at least the the Japanese broadcast version will be up until the 22nd. Attendance was 494, which I think actually is the largest Corkin show of any company so far since it's reopened back up. So, hey, uh, very obviously that they were doing one-third capacity as they would put like little signs over do not sit here do not sit here sit here do not sit here (laughs) do not sit here sit here which was kind of amusing it was a again this was a this was a little bit longer because they did have the uh, big uh, they had a longer show close promo and they had to set up some matches but still just about like two hours and 20 minutes so again another quick watch and just like overall your thoughts on this card this had my first like match that I made me go back and change my Dragon Gate top ten matches of the year this on this show, and then everything else on the show, with the exception of the opener, was just a fun time. Yeah, other than the eight man tag from AEW Dynamite, it'll be a week and a half ago when this comes out. The Young Bucks, Lucha Bros, FTR, uh, I think Butcher and the Blade right. were the fourth team in that. Yeah, that's the best match I've seen since March when everything shut down. But the main event of this show is is the second best match I've seen. I think way better than anything New Japan put on this past weekend. And and depending on how this review goes, I might increasingly become anti-New Japan as we go along because this show was exactly what I wanted it to be. I think Mike, what, what was the attendance? 494? 494, yeah. Yeah, so 494, Seedling ran Cork and Hall the night before. They put in 401, and then Big Japan ran two days before. They ran a doubleheader that was, I think, 245 for the first show and then 300 for the second show. So this was the biggest Cork and Hall crowd we've had since February. The venue, you could obviously, as Mike said, you could tell there was limited capacity seating going on, but I thought it was a lively atmosphere. I thought it looked good. If this is the way Corkin looks for the rest of the year, I could make peace with that because I thought everything was okay. And then, you know, you have a main event that is exceptional. You have a show that is very, very good for the most part. I have a written review up at voicesofwrestling.com right now. I can't complain with this. It's Drangate and Cork and Hall. I had a ball watching this. Yeah, and if anything, I, this might have changed, but originally the idea was they're going to go from one-third to one-half at Cork and next week, but with the spike in Tokyo, that might not be the case. So Tokyo is the one area of Japan that is seeing a noticeable spike. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's what I thought. Because it's like, I, I mean, you never know. But, you know, knock on wood, you could hope that worst case scenario say come final gate in fukuoka because we were just talking about and how dead that building typically is you would hope they can get one half if not a little bit more in there but again who knows but tokyo right now is the one that is feeling the heat uh there seems to be an increase in cases every day there right now yeah yeah and that's why things might things might change a lot with a dangerous gate as it's in september who knows but getting into the show match zero was a singles match Ginky Horiguchi versus Punch Tomonaga. Ginky won with a backslide from heaven in 3 minutes and 43 seconds. This basically was the two of them making fun of each other's moves for 3 minutes. 
it was fine. I mean, it's natural vibes, guys. Yeah. It's it's funny to think that natural vibes existed because it's just I don't know. It feels so long ago, even though right. they were a unit last year. But yeah, no, it was a it was a match zero that is did not feature Kenta Kabune or Masahiro Inoue, so you can go ahead and skip it. Yep, yep. And then we had the opening trios match. This was another Dragon Gate versus unaffiliated trios match. We had Masaki Mochizuki, uh, Yasushi Kanda, and Gamma, the unaffiliated team, going against the main eventers from the show before, KZ, Jason Lee, Kota Minenora. Kota Minenora got the pen this time with the gang in three minutes and four seconds on Yasushi Kanda. And boy, I love that they did all the callbacks to uh, Mochi Jojo in this match, guys. There's a moment in this match where Kota Minora is sitting on the apron facing the crowd. Masaki Mochizuki is running off the ropes and is about to kick him in the back the way he's done uh, thousands of opponents at this point in his career. And I'm sure it's happened a few times here and there. But from memory, I do not remember another time where Mochizuki delivered that soccer ball kick on the apron and someone, in this case, Coach Minora, stood up and told him to bring it. And I popped off of my couch when I saw Minora no-sell this kick that looks so god-awful to take. And Minora just pops up and says, give me more. And then he and Mochizuki, I mean, there is money to be made there in a singles match at some point because their chemistry was off the charts and... And even with KZ in this match, even with Jason Lee, who is obviously Minora's partner in that upcoming Twin Gate match, this was the Coach Minora show. This match felt like it was focused around him, and he delivered for an opener the way he needed to. Yeah, and it was just such a moment where he shrugged off the PK kick and just basically went, fuck you, old man. And then they like decided to slap the hell out of each other and just was the real focus of this and everyone in this match i felt like brought it i mean kz and jason lee we just talked about how fantastic those two are but i mean even like Conda, who was someone that i was completely like put him out to pasture two years ago bringing it here he's been a lot of fun in this and of course the 2020 wrestler gamma in the opening match and this ended up being like just an absolute blast like 13 minutes and it told an impressive story and I, and you know when talking about how the main event in Osaka was a moment. This felt like this was like the next story about Kota Minora being in the almost two years to the day of his match with Mochizuki, where he slapped Mochizuki and then joined Mochizuki Dojo. He does not just slap him this time, but he eats a slap and comes back. And I feel like that's just a, a remarkable callback that I know was intentional. Like, you know that, that, that they were like, okay, we're going to do this again. But this time, Kota, you are going to fight back. And I feel like that, that just made it like a beautiful story to be told in a match. That Minoru Mochizuki match, which I think was the September. It was September. I thought it was, and, I thought it was July for some well, reason. Well, he he debuted in July 2018. That's it. That's it. Yeah. So I, I think because he de- debuted July 5th. So we're, we're right at the two-year point of his career. I think it was the September Corkin that he and Mochizuki had a Kenta versus Ricky Marvin level sub five minute match. I mean, that goes in the hall of fame of short matches because Minora slaps him and then his head gets rearranged by a high kick. That match rules. Yeah. 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 And then we had a, the singles match on the show. It was Dragon Gate versus R.E.D., Yosuke Santa Maria and Big R Shimizu having the match that they were going to have in KBS hall. Uh, Big R Shimizu won just out of the Ricky Marvin Kenta range of five minutes and forty three seconds <laughs> with the with the shot put slam and you know this was a solid solid match like everyone kind of was getting into it. Uh, Maria's best when Maria's taking gross bumps and fighting back and and Shimizu I mean Shimizu's starting to put it back together after having a really rough start of twenty twenty. 
I'm really intrigued by the thought process behind this, because like we said earlier, this was supposed to take place on the July 4th KBS Hall show, and Menorah was subbed in there, and that is what started this entire Menorah push. So when I saw this match announced on the card, I assumed it was going to lead to something for them to double back and be right. sure that a Shimizu Santa Maria match happens was suspicious to me. I didn't know what was going on and it ends up really not being much other than a really fun match where it's just Shimizu going for the shot put slam time after time. Maria is able to counter count in the hobby. It's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. Rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club Slab Pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you, you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash VOW net. Arenaclub.com slash VOW net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Counter counter, and then finally just ate a big shot put. And it was it was over before you know it, but it's a it's a fun, again, fun short match, which is the, I think the trick for both of them, quite honestly, I would like to see both of them in this environment more. Yeah, I mean, it, and it's a very simple story to tell. Having the idea that Maria knows that the shot put slam will end the match regardless, so trying to find ways to counter it constantly, going for like a, going for like a Nerolucci out of it, which is such a, like a interesting thing to do, and then finally, you know, 
death taxes in the shop at slam you're going to one way it's going to end and it turned out to be it's just like a, just a blast of a five little five minute match this is not a match that needed to go much longer it was perfect at that uh match three was torimon versus red the torimon team of ultimo dragon don fuji and kagatora versus the red team of yoshida diamante and kazuma sakamoto real sleaze hours on that team uh, Diamante got the win on Kagatora with the Vuelta finale in 11 minutes and 18 seconds. But the real story of this match was Don Fuji, the so far the MVP of July for Dragon Gate and Kazuma Sakamoto. What an unbelievable pairing. And look, I don't get to take a lot of victory laps <laughs> in life, okay? Forget this podcast. Forget the writing on VoicesWrestling.com. I don't get a lot of victory laps in my life. But I will continue to point out that as soon as Cosmo Sakamoto debuted in this company, and he was given an unfair position where people thought it was going to be Pac, maybe the best wrestler on Earth, and it ended up being Cosmo Sakamoto. So there was a natural turn against him. But from his debut match on, I was like, no. This this dude has something. He can hang with these guys. And as time has gone on and he's become a pushed commodity, someone who defeated Masaki Mochizuki in King of Gate this year, I have been proven right that Cosmo Sakamoto is a positive addition to the roster. And watching he and Don Fuji beat each other up akin to a big Japan or pro wrestling Noah main event with how hard they were hitting each other. It was delightful. And it made me, and I talk about this in my review, but right before Minoru Suzuki and Suzuki gun invaded pro wrestling Noah at the start of 2015, there was a lot of discourse about, you know, yes, Suzuki had been pushed in the two thousands, but he was either pushed in New Japan as it was going down or All Japan when business was stagnant. He didn't really have a prolonged run in Noah up until he invaded. But, you know, from 2012 to 2014, Suzuki was a guy in New Japan that was consistently putting on match of the year contender matches. But when he wasn't putting on those matches, he was on the undercard against Toriyano. And it was like this weird, like, he's either going to have a four and a half star match or is going to have a two-star match. And there was always this conversation around like, man, could you imagine if Suzuki could become ace of a promotion? Like, could we just get big match Suzuki for a calendar year and see what that's like? And then he went to Noah and it didn't entirely work out. And that conversation stopped. Now there is no reason and it will never happen that Don Fuji is going to be looked at as a serious elite worker for an entire calendar year. Okay. That ship has sailed, but Watching him against Fujikawa on the 12th and then against uh, Kazuma Sakamoto here. Oh my God, what a talented season veteran. Someone that's been wrestling for 20 years now, a little bit more than 20 years. And it's just that experience level. You could just tell Fuji gets it. And when he's not messing around with the Bicycle Brothers, when he's not doing comedy on the undercard, when Fuji brings it, there are few people more talented doing what he does. And I just, I, I, it was not a great match. I mean, Ultimo and Kagatora didn't bring a ton to the table. Diamante still doing the hammer bump. Can't believe it. But <laughs> Fuji and Sakamoto were the guys that brought the heat in this match. And it was great to see. It's just something that I've been a longtime proponent of Don Fuji. 
my, my love of the man isn't just for the fact that he is a very charming individual. It's the fact that when he when he, when he sets his mind to it, he's one of the more fun brawlers in wrestling. And having Kazuma Sakamoto opposite him, those two guys are like, all right, we're just going to get into it. And it's a shame that the whole entire match wasn't the two of them just getting into it and you had to deal with the other four. But it just turned out to just be an absolute blast of a match. And, of course, Diamante won because Diamante is the pin winner on that side. And just, you know, maybe this was a match where I was like, okay, this match is a three-star match, but every one of those stars is going to Don Fuji and Cosmos Sakamoto in this. Yeah, no, it's it, it's great to say. And then another great-to-see match was a Dragon Gate versus RED tag, Keisuke Akuda teaming with Dragon Daya, Two guys, I want to know what they what they talk about in the back. Versus Kaido Ishida and Hyo. Akuda got the win with the sleeper hold on Hyo. And this might be one of my favorite 10-minute matches I've seen in a long time. I love this. Well, it's disgustingly built for us. I mean, these are the four guys that we have been pimping before anyone else. I mean, looking at this now, like, it just now dawned on me, like, oh, God, if Mike and Case had a produce show, which, by the way... We should have. If you would like to pay Mike and I to book a wrestling card, please DM us. We would love that opportunity. But, like, this is what we made of it a show with. Like, this is exactly what we want. Because it's Daya and Akuda, who are the two most exciting wrestlers in the world. It's Kaito Ishida, who is probably a top five guy right now. And then it's Yo, who we've just always had a soft spot for. And the Akuda-Ishida feud, it's something we've talked about for months at this point now, dating back to March when they ripped each other apart at the first empty arena show at Sambo Hall. This is becoming one of those, like, if this happened 15 years prior, this is becoming a DVD-worthy feud where someone is putting together the comp of Akuda versus Ishida, and you are getting to see all of these matches as smaller chapters to a greater story told because this was three and three quarters. I mean, this was a great match and it is just building and building to what I hope to God is an eventual Brave Gate match where Akuda defeats them because I am in love with this story right now. And how can't you be like, this is something that good helmet would have a comp of, of the best, exactly, <laughs> of yeah. the best of Akuda versus Ishida for our old heads out there. But uh, it, it's something where like, Okuda gets after it from the bell, which is completely in key, in tune with his character. You know how, like, in 2018 and 2019, we said that no one understands himself as a character more than Pac? Okuda's on that level, but it's something that is really remarkable. And, you know, we say we have the soft spot for Hyo, but, like, I feel like we've now said this on two consecutive shows. When you put Hyo in this context with the Bantam style and with these guys, Hyo's great. Like this he is... delivered here. He's, he delivered here, and he has a chance to deliver on the Sambo Hall show, which we'll talk about. Yeah, so like this is an absolute blast. I went four. Like This is the very rare thing where, like, Case, usually you are higher on things than I am, I feel like, just in the greater scheme of things. I love this, and it just was like seven minutes of an absolute thing. And something that I don't think we get to talk about a lot is Kaido Ishida looks so much just like a murderer. And it lurks so well. He has the, the crazy frizzed out bleached hair that now has like red highlights into it. He usually is wrestling with like his t-shirt and trunks on that he's like just so focused on just destroying someone that he doesn't even bother taking off his t-shirt. And it's such a cool look on top of like his style. And you have a Keisuke Akuda, Akuda who basically is the color of his tights now. 
Like, <laughs> it's gotten to that point with Fukuda's tan that he is golden. And it's just such, like, an interesting thing. It draws your eyes to the two of them. They're two, like, very diametrically different-looking people. Akuda has all the tan. Ishida has no tan. Uh, Ishida just looks sleazy and looks like a murderer. Akuda looks kind of just like a like the trope of like the uh the loud japanese thug you know like like the whole idea like like of like a yakuza underling have you ever played the you're not a big like you, you love your fire you love your uh, total stream warfare but i don't know have you played... i am deep into an aew save on tw right now <laughs> but i have you ever played the yakuza series of games or are you no, aware of them at all? I, I, I'm aware of them because i almost bought one a few months ago my thing with video games when it's not uh, TW is it typically has to be basketball, baseball, football, or skateboarding for me to care about it. I am I am the worst video game consumer where I just I just want to buy the yearly 2K update and I want to move on with my life. But I was because I've got time on my hands. I was experimenting with some other games, found some games I liked, and uh, Rich Krejci and John Carroll of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network put over the Yakuza games, so I'm aware of them, but I have never played them. Well. Okuda's character is kind of like because Yakuza the series is like a beat 'em up game basically. You you play as your character and you go throughout your neighborhoods that's based and they go in different neighborhoods in Japan throughout the series. And you have like a whole bunch of like thugs you beat up a lot. Okuda is very much in the style of like one of the thugs you look. You could you could put a 3D model of Keisuke Okuda into the Tojo Clan and make perfect sense. So that's why I say like he's like a Yakuza character. It's fantastic, but I love. Well, it, it, yeah, to your point, I mean, you mentioned, you know, the Pac and Akuda thing of knowing your character so well, and Ashida should be mentioned in that right, conversation absolutely. as well. I mean, it's it's a Dragon Gate thing. Again, they're just they're the best wrestling company in the world, and, and somehow have become the least egregious ref, bu- ref bump company in Japan all of a sudden. But Of all the, companies, too. Of all companies! Of all companies! They now have the most accurate and entertaining ref bumps. Who would have thought? But uh, Ashida. I guess we should mention the finish here where Akuda chokes out Yo and then doesn't let go of the choke until Dragon Daya has to claw him off of his, his fallen foe. And it's because Ashida is just getting under the skin of Akuda. And now they're teasing, you know, is Akuda going to join R.E.D.? Maybe Ashida's onto something. Maybe this extreme violence is better than the more tactical approach that Akuda has been taking. And it's just an interesting layer to the story to go along with the great matches they've had. There's real storytelling being attempted here. And it's because it's just like that Pac thing where when he is in the ring, he knows exactly who he is. Akuda and Ishida have now ascended to a very similar level. Yeah. And it's a remarkable thing. Make sure you don't miss out on DVD three of the good helmet. <laughs> Ishida versus Akuda 2020 feud. Uh, the next match is, you know how I was talking about on Osaka, how they found a way to kind of dial in comedy within a serious match? This match is like the big match that it happened to. Toriumon versus R.E.D. They opened the Dreamgate champion, Naruki Doi, teaming up with Ryo Saito, defeating uh, Naruki Doi's challenger in another direct fall, Ada, and that opened the Twin Gate champion, BB Hulk. Naruki Doi with a win in 13 minutes and 15 seconds on Ata with a Bakatari slide kick where... Boy, that's a weird friendship that I'd like to know more about is Naruki Doi and Ryo Saito. Well, we kind of buried the lead on the Osaka show a little bit because part of the reason that crowd was so lively and the atmosphere of that show was so positive was because for all of the Toriyaman Generation matches, 
uh, Saito was out ringside with like a noisemaker and was making essentially five times as much noise as any other person in the building. <laughs> now, I think Saito lives at a level of about three times as loud as a normal person. Okay. Saito is someone like, I love public transportation. I wish there were trains all over this country. When I am on public transit, I am whispering at most. I do not like being loud on trains or buses. I have friends. I have good friends. I feel genuinely uncomfortable riding public transit with because I think they talk too loud on the train. Rio Saito, God bless him, is in that category of a guy I do not want to be on a trade with because I know he's not going to be using an indoor voice. He is going to be yelling at me whether he knows it or not, which is great for, for professional wrestling, mind you. He was really good in Osaka and then comes here in this match with Doi where I am. I, we'll, we'll talk about it of just what they are doing with Doi and Eita, and I'm very very intrigued by it, but Saito's performance in this match needs to be mentioned because <laughs> yes, he's doing comedy. I mean, he wants to do Masato Yoshino's role in speed muscle, which is very, very funny. And at times they executed it to a shocking degree of success. So Saito is not dampening this Eita Doi feud because there were still moments of this match that were really intense, but Saito just brought a different element to this match that it's probably a good thing no one else on the roster can do what he does, but in this case, it was an extreme positive where he was just bringing something else to this match that no one else on the roster would be able to. You know who Rio Saito reminds me of? Did, did you Who's ever that? watch Parks and Recreation? I did. He's Andy Samberg's character. Andy Sandberg and Parks and Rec. He was only on like a couple of episodes where he played the uh, park ranger that they made him be a park ranger because yeah. he has no yeah, voice yeah. modulation. Because my my first thought was Harris Whittles, who was doing the animal control character on that show. Rio Saito gives off big Harris Whittles energy. If you know who that is, <laughs> I would I would like to start that comparison. Yeah, uh, I'm excited about the Cyrio phone corner. <laughs> Oh, God. God bless Harris. Rest in peace. Yeah, no. That, oh, God. I, I'm now imagining Rio Saito talking about going to over 100 fish shows. For those that don't know, Harris Whittles was an incredibly, incredibly talented comedian who wrote on the Sarah Silverman program, is the all-time greatest guest on the Comedy Bang Bang podcast, who unfortunately passed away a few years ago. But I am of the firm belief that most good modern comedy is directly influenced by Harris and the way he performed. He is uh, just a, a, a master, was a master of comedic timing, of presentation, of joke telling. If you do not know who Harris Whittles is, watch the Cork and Hall show and then check out some Harris Whittles. Yeah, just go on YouTube after you watch this match and search for Harris's foam, F-O-A-M, corner. To just do it. it, it it's, I mean, some of the, it's some of the greatest audio ever recorded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just something that, like, Cy, like the relationship and the inner dynamics of Doi and Cyrio is what makes the bits that Rio Saito doing was doing so great. Because cause Doi would be like, okay, yeah, we're going to do this. And he, like, there was, like, a moment where they were doing the uh, the, the drop down, the roll through, then the uh, foot trip and sliding drop kick from 
from Doi Yoshi, and Doi was like going like this and was doing like the gestures for like we're going to go do this and this. And Ryo Saito was like yes, yes, yes. And then they do it, and Ryo Saito does the Yoshino pose afterwards, and then Doi just goes like the this motherfucker thing and, and smacks him upside the head, and it's it's fantastic stuff. So what do we think about Doi and Hel? What are they doing with this feud? Yeah. Because not only is Hel losing some of these tags, but he is directly being pinned. Direct, by Naruki Doi. Yeah, direct falls by Naruki Doi, which, you know, Eita has been, like, the big overall question about the promotion over the last few years, right? Like, what do you do with Eita? What is his true ceiling? He's the giant question mark. And he finally wins King of Gate. He finally has a Dream Gate shot. He acts like he does not want to take this shot until they basically say, you're taking your shot here or you're losing your Dream Gate shot. And in the lead-up, he's lost direct falls to the champion each time which you know normal wrestling booking you're like oh that means Ada's gonna win right he finally overcomes it but that's not always the case with dragon gate though well and especially because eight is being positioned as the heel it's not right. like the 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 traditional way of storytelling is not that Ata overcomes here it would be weird if that's the case i i i still think the Doi and Ata title match is going to be incredibly heated, and I look forward to that match despite my feelings on Ata being a quasi-main eventer. What I am starting to believe is that Ata's kind of going to get destroyed in that match to an extent, I think. And what I would love is I would love to uh, be able to have more contacts in Japan that could tell me the way that the, that the home-based crowds are reacting to this, but I... I do think our hypothesis of Ishida becoming the guy in R.E.D., I kind of think we're going to get that sooner rather than later because I can see a scenario where even though the feud has taken so many different turns because of COVID, we do have to at some point see the end of the road of this generational warfare. Right. And despite my issues with Ada, despite the fact that I don't think he always delivers— I do think him turning on R.E.D. and helping the Dragon Gate generation overcome the odds is a really good story. And with all of the miscommunication that's happening in R.E.D. right now, I do wonder if that is the direction they are taking. And of all of the possibilities, that seems most likely because I Ata, if, if he beats Doi at this point, and we'll see after the Sambo Hall show, maybe things change by next week, but if Ata beats Doi at this point... I think it's going to be a weaselly, gimmicky Dreamgate run that is just, I mean, we're seeing with New Japan right now that these angle-heavy matches do not work, that a strong heel-driven presence in these main events is not going to be successful, given that the crowds are instructed not to make any verbal noise, that they are instructed to clap, and that is about it. I fear that an to run in his current character would be uh, similar to the evil matches that we've been seeing. And I think that would bomb tremendously. So I kind of just think Doi and Ata are going to have a good match at Memorial Gate, but Doi is going to kick his head off and is just going to move on down the line into the next defense. And that is what I believe, at least as of now, again, things could change with Samba Hall. But I think that is the story that needs to be told because with the way Ata is taking all of these falls, I fear the future a little bit if he is the next Open the Dreamgate champion. So, as of July 17th as recording it, I'm going to lay out how I think the next three months go. Because I've been thinking about this a lot. Please. All right. So, we have, and we'll be bringing this f- further, 
we have the first, we have the main event of the next Corkin show in August, and it's basically teasing the the main event of Oda City Gymnasium at Dangerous Gate, where they're going to be doing the Dead or Alive match. Right now, we have Ada, Hulk, Shimizu, Yoshino, Kai, and Yamato in the cage. We don't have the stipulations for the cage. We don't know if it's going to be an apuestas. We don't know if it's going to be anything with this. But I think that, well, there's two things. One, the Dragon Gate heel runs. You will have shenanigans. But the thing is, is that if the heel is the Dream Gate champion, they usually don't have very many shenanigans in it. Uh, Shingo Takagi, of course, very few shenanigans in his title matches. Uh, Yamato wasn't, when he was first turned heel and Mad Blanky was not a very shenanigans heavy champion. And then even for like the time where Nuruki Doi was challenging and was like the interim champion, like that wasn't treated like a real reign. So they were able to do this. But the heel champions usually don't go shenanigans heavy. Shima and Blood Warriors was not a shenanigans heavy thing. So if Ada is a shenanigans heavy heel champion, that's going to flop. Like that's... But I do think I do think Shima and Ata are two totally different cases where, all, despite Ata's track record of really good matches, those have almost all been as a babyface. Right. And I do, I just don't think that Ata has that Shima level ability. Nor do I think that's the story they want to tell with Ata. All signs have pointed to if he is going to be successful in the red, black, and yellow, which has existed for almost five years now in various forms. It is going to be with the help of the entire unit. Right. So I, I see that point. I just, I, because of the way Ata has been treated, I fear that they are just working on an entirely different uh, just level with him than they would someone like Shima. Yeah, and that's why I think that Ata loses at Wakayama, and then he gets turned on in the cage, and he goes face, and then Ishida takes over the reins. Yeah, I'm all for that. I think that's a great plan. Yeah, I think that's... That's my most likely thing. Like, that's what how I think the next few months are going to go. Um, the main event, to transition away to some stuff that actually does build up to that cage match, was a eight-man tag, Dragon Gate versus Toriumon. And you basically have all bangers in this. There's no, There was no obvious fall guy in this match, except for current tendencies, as the Dragon Gate team was Yamato, Kai, Big K, Binkei, uh, Strong Machine J going against the uh, Toriumon team of Masato Yoshino, Dragon Kid, Susumi Yokosuka, and Shuji Kondo. Kai got the win on Yoshino with a medio impact in 7 minutes and 34 seconds in a match that I gave 4.5 stars to. The best match in Dragon Gate since March, basically. Best match in Dragon Gate since March. I thought this was truly exceptional. Well, Mike, I want you to break it down before I do. I, I will I will briefly mention Kai pitting Masato Yoshino in the middle of a Drangate ring in the Corkin Hall main event. I would have fainted had you told me that was going to happen two years ago. Oh. That would have been terrifying. But as I say in my review, Kai has earned this position. Kai has turned his fortunes around. I hated him when he first came into this company. And I now unironically Love the work Kai is doing. I have zero issues with the finish. But Mike, I gave this match four and a half in my review. I flinched. I flinched on the four and a half. I went four and a quarter. I couldn't pull the trigger as high as you did. And on top of that, we talked briefly before the show about this match. You dissected the structure of this match even better than I did. So this is your match. You take the ball and run with it here. All right. So... Well, I think this, that this is a truly exceptional match and a match that everyone should go and see 
this should be a match that before you submit a top 10 list, if you do not watch this match, then I'm going to disregard your list, is they set up this really brilliant format that you don't see that often in this style of match. So the X Factor in this match is Shuji Kondo. And the reason that he is the X Factor is that Dragon Gate Army is able to Dragon Kid handle him easily. He's small. All four guys are big on the other side. They they put him away. Masato Ushino, he's old and hurt. They can take care of him. And then Susumi Yokosuka, he's fighting strong, and he's the strongest person out of those three, but they have his number as well. But whenever Suji Kondo gets involved in this match, he is the bull in the china shop. He completely wrecks house, and they do not have the answer for Suji Kondo. And it, and it leads itself to some very interesting face-offs. Of course, like, the highlight one, of course, is Binkei and Shuji Kondo. I mean, big boy season right there. But then you have, like, the All Japan and Russell 1 connection of Kai and Suji Kondo going after it as well. Like, Kai, I, I don't know if there's something up with Kai that this is the case for him. But he always comes out and comes into these matches with, like, crazy welts on his chest and on his back. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and he had, like, a bright welt at the end of this match, and most of that was from Suji Kondo. And then you had this leading into the finish. And the finish, I think, was truly something that shows, like, Suji Kondo is one of the smartest people in wrestling, and that Kondo is going for the original, which is his pop-up power slam. And he goes for it, and they don't really get it with him and Yamato. It's not flush, so the momentum's not working, and Yamato escapes from it. And Shuji Kondo gives a look that made it seem like that this was not like some kind of mistake. It was Yamato going out and he goes like, oh, this asshole thought he can get out of this. And he proceeds to give the next one that shook the ring. And it then went to such a full-flowing finish that was just going back and forth. And it's just such an incredible thing that for like an under-20-minute match that basically was a sprint from the start turned into something truly magical, and it's one of my favorite drag game matches of the last five months. Look, there's no other company in the world that can do this. Uh, I am glad that it seems like AEW is diving into these multi-man matches, and I think with their roster, guys that have experience in Dragon Gate or the Lucha Brothers who are noted Dragon Gate fans, they're going to succeed with that style. But the flawless execution of the story being told here, simply no other promotion in the world can do that. Now, Mike broke down the match great. There are two things I want to briefly mention. One is specifically the spot where Shuji Kondo hair whips Yamato over Kondo's body and onto the canvas. It's it's a spot he's done before. It's a spot he's done to big guys and small guys alike. It is one of the most shockingly violent moves in all of wrestling. And for him to do that to Yamato, the ace of the company was another one of those moments, kind of like Minora standing up to Mochizuki's kick, where I'm already really into this show, I'm really into this match, and then that happens, and I'm like, oh, oh, wow, okay, all right, this is this is something else. And the other thing that I should know is that Shuji Kondo, who came in, you know, in last January, wrestled Mochizuki, appeared a few other times in these fun appearances, you know, the ultimate match at Kobe World was great, but the, the matches weren't necessarily great. Returns in February of this year at Cork and Hall, the last Cork and Hall show before this, has a really, really great match, a tag match, and then full-time on the fourth, and has delivered in every match since. But Mike, there are still guys on this roster, specifically in the Dragon Gate generation, that Shuji Kondo, whether it be 
from the reunion appearances last year or his full-time work this year, he has not touched. And it is the guys that we have talked about consistently throughout this show as the most exciting guys on the roster. Shuji Kondo has not been in the ring with KZ. Shuji Kondo has not been in the ring with Dragon Daya. And Shuji Kondo has not been in the ring with Kaisuke Okuda. So he is delivering the goods as expected against your your Ben K's and your Big R Shimizu's and your Kai's, guys that he can just sort of run into and bounce off of. But as we saw particularly in the July 5th match, where it was Kondo and Dragon Kid against Ben K and Jason Lee, Shuji Kondo held his own against Jason Lee's what we would call unorthodox offense. So I have no doubt when Kondo steps up a tier to that top tier Drangit generation level and your KZs and Dias and Akutas get in the ring against him, I have no doubt that we are going to be witnessing greatness because it seems so dumb now after the fact that I understand the heat and the politics behind it, but Kondo didn't wrestle in Drangate from the end of 2004 until 2018. And Kondo had an incredible career. All Japan Junior Champion, one of my favorite title runs in the history of All Japan, is what Kondo did in that company. His match with Kenny Omega is spectacular. I believe that was during Omega's reign, but the point stands. Had a great run in Pro Wrestling Noah. Had a great run in Wrestle 1. But Kondo coming back to Drangate on a macro level just feels right and he is delivering the best work he's done in years against this roster and there is so much of the roster that hasn't even come in contact with him yet so Shuji Kondo returning to Drangate for multiple reasons can only be looked at as a giant win for everyone involved absolutely and as we get into the cards coming up He's going to get another one of those really interesting things. It could be another huge win as well. So do you have any other big thoughts on the cork and before we move on to previewing upcoming shows? No, let's uh, let's break down the uh, next show. Yep. Corkin will remain up on the network, at least as a Japanese version, on, until the 22nd. Don't know when, again, when the English version will be posted, if it's posted, but as soon as it is, we will let you know on Twitter. So the only televised show next week is the uh, returning truly home, as Dragon Gate will be returning to Kobe Sambu Hall on the 19th. It goes live on the network at 5 p.m. Japanese Standard Time, which is 4 a.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time and 1.30 for the West Coast. And interesting card, at least from the uh, outlook on it, just like looking it up and down. I'm just going to run down the card, and I'll get your thoughts, Case. Yeah, please. All right. Match zero, opening match is Jizushi Kanda versus Problem Dragon Mondai Ryu. Opening match is a unaffiliated tag team of Masaki Mochizuki and Susumi Koska. The Mochizuki, the Mochi Mochi connection is back as they go up against KZ and Yosuke Santa Maria. Match two is Dragon Gate versus R.E.D. as Benkei and Dragon Daya face off against Kazuma Sakamoto and Diamante. Match three, the singles match on the show is Toriyaman versus Dragon Gate, Kakatora versus Keisuke Akuda. Match four is Toriyaman versus Dragon Gate in a trios match as Ultimo, DK, and Sairio go up against Yamato, Kai, and Strong Machine J. Match 5 is Dragon Gate versus RED Tag Team Match. This is going to be your Twin Gate uh, go-home match with Kota Minor and Jason Lee, the uh, current number one contenders for the Twin Gate Championships, 
will go up against one half of the Open the Twin Gate champions, BB Hulk and Takashi Yoshida. The main event, Torimon versus RED eight man tag as we get the, the this Torimon team is insane as we're getting Doi Yoshi, Speed Muscle, Naruki Doi and Masato Yoshino teaming up with Shuji Kondo, so we get a little bit of Italian connection going on as well, and Ginky Horiguchi going up against kind of with the exception of Hulk, the top four people in uh, R.E.D. Well, top four people in Hio with Ada, Big R. Shimizu, Kaide, uh, Kaito Ishida, and Hio. In case, real interesting go-home show, I think. Really, really fun. I like the look of this show. When this, when this card was released, I sent you a message, Mike, and I was like, eh, it's a, it's a Sambo Hall show. And then I looked at it again today So I was doing notes for this show, and I was like, you know what? There's, there's a lot of stuff I really like on this show, I mean, I'll go down the, the the whole card here and just briefly give my thoughts. I mean, Mochizuki and Susumu against KZ uh, and Yasuke, that's going to be a really fun match. I mean, that's a match if it's positioned as match four or five. We're talking about that could hit spreadsheet level. It's match one. It's not going to have that same intensity, but it's going to be strong. I think match two, K and Daya versus Sakamoto and Diamante. It's a good matchup for everybody involved. And what I find so intriguing about this is that at this time last year, you know, Mike and I were working overtime to get this idea of Ben K becoming an air quotes ace over to everybody because that's the direction that things were heading. And, and at you know, G- July 17th, July 18th, July 19th, 2019, Ben K was the guy. And a year later, he's a third of the Triangle Gate champions, and he's in match two, which is not an indictment on Ben K. I have come to peace with the way they're using him. I actually, I I have enjoyed him immensely as of late but it is not him that we're focused on now it is dragon dia his partner who is getting the rightful praise that he deserves and again like i said earlier every single match that dragon dia is involved in i am glued to the tv i can't wait to see what he does i think akuda kagatora and the uh following six man the tori yuman versus dragon match those could be fine i'm looking forward to seeing what those are minora and jason lee versus hulk and yoshida I'm assuming Yoshida takes the fall here. This, I think that's going to give us a good gauge on what BB Hulk is going to be able to bring in Wakayama for the Twin Gate match. So I look forward to that. And then the main event, a lot of interesting things at play here because it's Doi and Eita. And as we've talked about, Doi is directly beating Eita in their matches with one another. You've got Eita and Yoshino, who they've been going at it all year. Yoshino's been taking a lot of falls lately, maybe going into Doi versus Eita. Maybe it's uh, Yoshino who takes the fall, and Eita gets one up on Doi going into their title match. You've obviously got Kondo against Shimizu and Kondo versus Ashida here. Those pairings should be phenomenal. Horiguchi and Ashida once again. Maybe the match just ends with Horiguchi submitting to Ashida once more, and we all pack our bags and go home. And then you've got Yo, who I think on paper is the natural fall post in this match, but given the way everyone else has been booked, I'm not sure he's going to be the one eating a pin here. But Yo in a main event spot is exciting. I mean, he's going to pull his weight enough, I would assume, to where he can be carried to greatness by Dori Yoshino, Kondo, and Horiguchi. It's a good opportunity for Yo to really shine in front of a bigger crowd, or I guess, you know, a a decent-sized crowd at Sambo Hall. So I have no idea what the finish of this match is going to be, but I know I am really, really excited to watch it. I mean, 
I'm intrigued by the idea of Kondo and Hyo. That Kondo be... and Yo, Kondo and Ishida, because I don't, I don't think off the top of my head. Maybe I'm already forgetting something. But have we seen Kondo and Ishida yet together? I let me. I put up my notebook. Let me check. I don't think they happened in uh, KBS Hall. So didn't happen in KBS Hall, and it didn't happen uh, the prior week. So I mean, that would be right. That would be another first time pairing. It's like I said, we've we've already seen a lot of Kondo. He's had four matches make tape this month, but again, it's he's he's untouched by most of this roster and confirming now those two have not wrestled each other before. So I'm delighted to see what they are going to bring to the table. Yeah. And it's just like a really interesting way that, that to build to this, uh, to, to the next month's big shows just because of or next two months, really, because you have enough stuff here that plays into Wakayama and they have stuff that's going to play into dangerous gate. So it's really kind of uh, captivating to see how this will go. And then, yeah. And the semi main it's, Maybe this is a match that, I mean, he's going to get two weeks between this and Wakayama. So Hulk doesn't have to go full bore if he needs to be, or he can and just know he has two weeks to rest up for Wakayama. And then, you know, Yamato Kai and Strong Machine J have been a really fun trio. And it is against the Ultimo team. So my uh, opinion of that match is couched by that. And then Daya and Diamante have great chemistry. And it's kind of become like my favorite person to have Diamante go up against. So. There's a lot for people to seek their teeth into. Again, that show is on the 19th on the network live. But case we do have some ways they're going to be going throughout August and September. As we've talked about this a lot, we'll have more in-depth thoughts next week as we should probably have a full card by that point. With the Memorial Gate 2020 and Wakayama show will be on August 2nd. I don't know if this is live, but I know it's going to be on the network in some fashion if it's on VOD or if it's live. We have the two top title matches already declared. It is Naruki Doi defending against Ada, the 2020 King of Gate winner. And then they open the Twin Gate match as BB Hulk and Kazuma Sakamoto defend against Jason Lee and Kota Minenora. As well, we have the main event for August's Corkin Show as it is the Road to Dangerous Gate six-way match as Yamato versus Kai versus Ada versus BB Hulk versus Big R Shimizu versus Masato Yoshino will be the main event. Of course, this was going to be the main event of the March Corkin before the COVID outbreak. And then far off in the distance, but it's coming to us faster and faster, is the Oda City Gymnasium, Dangerous Gate 2020, September 21st. The six-way cage match is back as it will be Yamato versus Kai versus Ada versus BB Hulk versus Big R Shimizu versus Yoshino. Stipulation and match rules will be announced at a later date. Yeah, there's a lot to be excited about. Uh, the the six-man at the next cork and at the following cage match, uh, it's tough to speculate on those now just because of I, the, the six-man match at cork, and I have no idea what that is going to With look six like. Way. Six way. Six way. Yeah, yeah, six way. And then obviously the cage match, we don't have the stipulation, so it is it is tough to say one way or another. But yeah, it's, it's good stuff. I mean, I'm looking forward to watching all of this because as I've said since the top of the show, I really like the direction that things are headed. So I, I'm very curious to see. I mean, they obviously have plans and have big plans for the six-way match at Corkin and the preceding cage match because that is the one thing that they have held on to. We got the GHC tag match in at an empty arena show that was scheduled for the March Corkin. Now they are bringing back the main event of that show and then moving the cage match from uh, the Dead or Alive show to Dangerous Gate, which I read 
a lot of, uh, I'm not angry, but concerned fans in uh, Aichi, it sounds like, of like, why are you taking away our cage match? Why are you giving it to another <laughs> crowd this year? Um, unfortunately, that is the way the dice rolls in 2020, but it's a Dragon Gate cage match. It is the best thing every single year. So I look forward to that as well. And, and it's something like, hey, Aichi Nagoya, it's going to be cool. They, they will probably do something big for you in 2021. Like, cool your jets. Like, yes, it stinks. The cage match has been at Dead or Alive for the last, like, five years. But things change. And come on, sit with us. It's okay. But, you know, at least without having, like, a big show in Aichi, we don't get the favorite trope in Aichi of Dragon Kid losing. So they should be happy God, about you that. God, know, you know Ashida would just destroy him in a Brave Gate match <laughs> if things were normal. Right, <laughs> it right, It would just right. get ugly quick. <laughs> Yeah, no, that would be that would be very sad, but that would be what would have to happen. So that's what we have coming up ahead. We do have a couple more things we wanted to talk about before we get out of here this week. Uh, this week on the Voices of Wrestling website, we've launched a weekly series that was called Heat Seekers and Hustlers, where we were talking about how the five prospects, it was myself, Andy Labar, uh, Taylor Mainberg, and I'm blanking on his last name, and I feel bad that I'm blanking on his last Last name, I apologize. Mike, not a Gerard dedicated member. Detrolio. Sorry, there I knew it was go. Gerard. It's just like, I always forget his last name. Gerard Detrolio, who does like all the All Japan coverage. So yes. if, if you're into All Japan, be sure to catch out, check out Gerard Detrolio. And we just basically, the four of us each picked four people that we find interesting to watch. Our only kind of real rule we had is we didn't want someone who was like a true born rookie unless there's a good reason. And we didn't want someone who had like, five years at a high level so it's kind of like i took this aspect as like what is baseball perspective does for people who are like in double a and triple a before they hit big time and that's kind of how i wrote at least my section my the five dragon gate people i put as the people to watch are dragon dia who i think is kind of the consensus top prospect in dragon gate and then Kota minanora which that's a real flash of brilliance for me, by the way, picking Kota Minora before the biggest week of his career. <laughs> and then as well, uh, Kento Kobune was my rookie choice, just as like I feel like that he's kind of like the supernova rookie right now. And then two interesting ones, uh, two people that I think that could really have or really have interesting stories in Jimmy and Oji Shiba. Yes. Yeah, no, you. I think you, uh, you nailed the list of guys that are included there. Uh, like we said at the top of the show, there's just so many prospects in the company now. And I particularly look at Jimmy as a real case of success. Uh, right. Someone that, that came in as a DTU import has taken not exactly the mantle that Flamita once held because Flamita was pushed out as an upper mid card guy, but Jimmy is someone that stuck around through the pandemic, spent time in the dojo. And my gut is that he will be rewarded with a brave gate challenge or something like that. I don't think he's 82 kilos. That's the problem. That is true. He is huge. Maybe he needs to just pin Shuji Kondo in the middle of the ring because he (laughs) does have hashtag that beef. Uh, He is, he is that, that kind of guy now, but yeah, I, I mean, for me, you know, Jimmy is one that will never be a main eventer, at least in Japan, but I think has a good story. OG Shiba's fascinating. It's just a matter of whether or not he will stay healthy for a prolonged period of time. It's something that plagued his brother Kotoka, and it has unfortunately been passed down onto him. But for me, the the crown jewel of Dragon Gate right now, 
even more so than Dragon Daya, who I think the world of, who again, other than Kenny Omega, I think he's the best wrestler in the world right now. Kenta Kabune is the guy that you have to pay attention to. Again, it's like when Al Lindemann debuted. It's like when Futa Nakamura, who turned into Ben K, debuted. You have to take notice of him. The way he's being positioned, the way he's being treated, this company is going to use him and is going to use him in important and main event level situations sooner rather than later. Yeah, and the reason why I picked OG is just as I feel like that, that he was the case of the interesting story in a lot of ways. Like, he is someone that still struggles to get ring time even now that he's been healthy for almost a full year. But it's something that, like, coming in as, like, obviously wanting to be the person to pick up his brother's mantle and then losing 14 months and then coming back. And it's just, like, a very interesting thing where I don't know what the ceiling is for OG Shiba. Is he going to be someone that could be, like, a third on a Triangle Gate team? Maybe. Is he someone uh, that, that that would be his peak right there? Is the third guy on a Triangle Gate team? Is he someone that can put it all together like how Kota Minora has and become like a Brave Gate challenger? Maybe. Like it, it, he's like this giant X factor, so that's why I really wanted to pick him. Then yeah, Jimmy's really interesting because like he is the first true dojo Gaijin that they've had since uh, Uha Nation, I would say. Like true Gaijin, like coming in as like a pseudo rookie and becoming like this the the new person there so like it, it's very complicated and interesting with him then yeah dragon dia has the clearest and the easiest ceiling to achieve as he's almost already hit his ceiling in a lot of ways and i don't know if that's really a ceiling now like the only thing as i say in the article the only thing that's holding him back is the laws of physics kota minor were in the uh we're seeing the ascent of Kota Minor and who knows where it takes us. And then, as you said, Kod- Kento Kabune, the person that if I'm if I have the pencil, I'm writing in what the uh, the uh, ki- the uh, Kobe-, Kobe World main event is in five years. I'm probably going to put Kento Kabune there as well. Yeah, I completely agree. So it, it's again, we, we've been in this situation before. We've had a plethora of young prospects that seem like they are going to take over the world, and that generation. It's not that they failed, but they didn't live up to the hype. And some of those factors were out of the control. Again, Yamamura, just it's an awful story the way his career has gone. T-Hawk is obviously gone. Ata didn't pan out, at least in the way that I think they secretly hoped. Uh, and Big R Shimizu is not being used the way we maybe thought he would, even though he's pushed and protected to an extent and has held multiple titles. And then Ben K has delivered. I mean, Ben K is everything we thought he would be. Uh, now we've got this new generation and we're in the same spot because no one seems to produce prospects quite as quickly or as often as Drangate does. And we are now seeing those guys take that next step. And you have to remember, we are discussing all of these shows without Shun Skywalker and without Yuki Yoshioka. So the pipeline is even deeper than many realize. Oh, that reminds me. You know what, Yush- what Yuki Yoshioka and Shun Skywalker are doing today on the 17th? What are they doing today? There's a DTU show that's going to be streamed live. There's a real convoluted way that they do iPay-Per-View in Mexico. Basically, you have to get like a bank account number and a WhatsApp app, and they send you a link. It, no, nope, it, nope, not doing that. It'll probably be on a YouTube account sometime next week, but there's a DTU show that's happening at a pool. That's what the, that's what their summer vacation is like. They're going to the pool today. I 
hope I'm in a position 10 years from now to do the oral history on Shun Skywalker's excursion because there are stories that will need to be told. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one last note about the rookies and the dojo. I did a count. 14 people they have debuted since 2016. 14. That's incredible. That, that's that's incredible. I mean, when you compare it, like New Japan gets one or two a year. Uh, All Japan, one or two a year. NOAH, one. DDT, <laughs> one, one, one a decade. One a decade. <laughs> DDT does crank out people. Like, DDT's dojo does crank out people, but 14 in Dragon Gate. And that's insane. That's insane. Okay, so I knew you wanted to hit on this really quickly before we get out of here. The, the stuff that's going up on the DG Network this week, or this month, rather. Yeah, I always – it's my fault because I, I don't ever get around to watching a lot of the archive content that is put up on Dragon Gate Network in a timely fashion. I always feel like with the, the Torium on TV that they're uploading in order from the start, I always feel like I'm watching it like a month after it's uploaded, so it's it's tough to talk about on the podcast. But since King of Gate, they've been doing a really fun series called You Were Young Then on the website where they're showing the debut matches – of in a randomized order of guys on the roster. And it was really cool in the beginning because like KZ's debut was on a next show and that had never been shown before. They showed Yamato's debut, which was the full version of that match. Whereas the original version aired clips on TV. You had the punch Tamanaga debut, which is on a Bayudan produce show. I did not realize they had the rights to that footage still, but they do. Ben K's debut happened at a next show. We had never seen that footage before. I think we talked about it on the podcast because I had a file on my hard drive that I thought was the earliest Ben K match out there. And then they won up to me and just uploaded the debut. And there's still some fun stuff going on in the series. The UT debut is worth watching if you've never seen that. That is a really, really important Kobe Sambo Hall show. But they're now doing a thing where, like, a few weeks ago, they uploaded Don Fuji's debut. And then this week, they uploaded Dragon Kid's debut. But the problem is, that is the same match. <laughs> they are in the same six-man. And on top of that, it's a match that is already available on the Dragon Gate Network. So it's unfortunate that they are not necessarily dipping their toes into the Toriumon Mexico pool, or at least giving us something else to offer there. But still, in the past two weeks, we have the Super Shisa debut, which is on the December 10th, 2001 show, which has the Shima Mochizuki hair match, which I've never seen this match before. So I'm going to sit down and watch this after we're done recording. And then just yesterday, they uploaded the Kagatora debut match, which is the main event of the first Toriumon X show. This is a match I have never seen. My biggest hole in the Drangit viewing is Toriumon X. I've seen practically none of it. And Ishimori is in this match that also features that's probably, good. that's probably a decent reason why you would. Oh, yeah, no, no, I've had the opportunity. I've just avoided it. But, you know, Kagator is in this match with Taiji Ishimori and, and Sua. It's a four-on-three tag, which I think sums up Toriyamon X right there. The main event of the debut show is a four-on-three tag. I do not know why, but, yeah, there's, there's a ton of fun stuff on the network. And the archive... While I wish they were doing more with it, while I think there are opportunities both on the Japanese side and on the English side that they're not necessarily taking advantage of, 
there's good stuff there. And if you are on the fence about purchasing the network because maybe, oh, well, I don't know if I'm going to get to these shows quick enough and then they, they leave the network. If you have any interest in the history of the Dragon system, the archive is now deep enough to where I have to recommend it. I mean, they just uploaded the Masato Yoshino debut match, which is from the first T2P show. And that match is one of those holy shit what am i watching wrestling matches it was something completely different at the time so there's there's a gold mine in there you just have to kind of dig for it a little bit uh, if you need recommendations for anything on the network by all means tweet at me at underscore in your case or tweet at the open the voice gate account at open voice gate and we will get back to you yeah and also if you're looking for like i know he's done this the j at dg underscore j has like a great like guide and the kind of like chronological order thing going on yeah for for the torimon tv that again they've they've uploaded that since the start and they're in the middle of 2001 right now so the first 18 months of torimon are all on the drangate network at this point which there's stuff in there that i had never seen before uh there's there's blocks of tv that i had just not seen until they were uploaded and and like you mentioned jay's twitter has a, a brief Twitter rundown, tweet rundown of everything worth watching on those TV shows when they're uploaded once a month. So it's, it's again, the archive has grown to a point that it makes the network worth it. And then plus you've got almost, uh, almost 10 or maybe 10 live shows between this month and next month. There's a ton of content, live content added to the network now with all of the shows that Dragon Gate is running. So it's, it's an exciting time to follow the product. It's an exciting time to watch the product as well. And I think that's a great note to to end on. Okay, is there anything you wanted to plug or hit on before we get out of here? No, just uh, just the Open the Voice Gate Twitter, at Open Voice Gate. Uh, then my own account, uh, at underscore in your case. And that is that is it. And then the Dragon USA Rewind and Rewatch series, which Mike and I are up to WrestleMania weekend 2011. By the time, oh no, I guess we'll be at the United finale by the time most of you listen yeah. to this. But Dragon Gate WrestleMania weekend 2011 is coming we are in a very interesting point in time in Drangate usa's history yeah it we're, we're getting to the a point of time where we're in 2011 blood warriors is out here and we're right now like with by a speeding bullet getting to start blood warriors versus junction three and it's been a whole lot of fun to, to do and i think we have we're, we're getting close to the halfway point of that series which is wild yeah no it's uh it's something i've been monitoring is when we hit that halfway point but it has been so much fun sitting down with Mike every week and talking about Dragon Gate USA from an in-ring perspective and a business perspective. And we've now got 10 years of hindsight on some of this stuff. By the time the series ends, we'll have, you know, six or seven years of hindsight on it. It's It's been great. Dragon Gate USA is, I will say, a misunderstood promotion. Yeah, and hopefully through the series, everyone gets a chance to understand it as it actually was and not tropes and misconceptions. So... Be sure to check that out as well. But that's going to do it for us here. For Case, I'm Mike, and we'll catch you next time on Open the Voice Gate. Take care, everyone.